idea of preparing, which is Advent, or waiting, that we as followers of Christ are not passive in our waiting. This isn't a just sit there and see what will happen with us doing nothing. And so um, one educator uh, writes this. She says, we all have need to be trained to see and to have our eyes opened before we can take in the joy that is meant for us in this beautiful life. We need to be trained to see. It's an interesting idea, right? Like, at first pass, this is kind of like, really, we need to be trained to see? Like, I don't imagine there's too many uh, classes offered over at the university or even at the tech on seeing, right? You can see or you can not see. It's not necessarily a thing that's like, I'm going to go to school and learn to see better, and yet, in reality, we do train ourselves to see. Last week when we did um, the art study leading into uh, the message, there was stuff in there that you guys brought out that I didn't even see. That it was like, oh, oh that's very interesting and, and that's cool. There is this importance in our lives, especially in our lives, the more distracted we become of being intentional in training ourselves in the discipline of seeing You ever hang out with somebody who just has a knack for seeing things? They notice stuff. They point stuff out. Sometimes these folks can be a little annoying to be around, and I know that's me, and I apologize for that, but it's like, did you know this? Maybe you didn't know this. I want to point this out. There is this, like, uh, curiosity with everything around you, and this, like, oh, it would be great for me to let you know about this too. Did you know that in the third dynasty of, and you're like, whatever, I've already zoned out. We need to be trained to see. It's not that there's not joy around us or available for us, but we need, we need to be uh, uh, what we need to see. And so uh, this morning, uh, like each week in this, we're going to be in the book of Matthew in one of the Gospels. We're going to move back into uh, the prophet Isaiah. Then we're going to come back into Matthew. And I am very aware that uh, we can't go long today because um, you want to what? Nope, can't talk about football. Okay. Uh, Matthew 13. Here we go. So this is uh, around this idea of seeing. We're actually jumping over the Christmas story into the middle of Jesus' uh, ministry and into the middle of an event that's happening. We looked at this the other night on Wednesday night Bible study from the book of Mark. So uh, Jesus says, or Matthew 13, verse 10, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? And he replied to them, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. So whoever has been given more, they will have an abundance, Jesus says. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Those seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. And we unpacked this a little bit in the story last week when we were looking things. And this is actually not an easy text. And what Jesus here, though, is saying is that there are things that he is teaching that there are those are just not going to grasp it. And it's not maybe because of the things of God. It's because of actually my posture to what he's saying. So he says, 
Though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not understand. And he's actually quoting the prophet Isaiah. And he goes on, he says, And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. Ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's hearts have become calloused. And they hardly hear with their ears. And they've closed their eyes, and otherwise they might not see with their eyes or hear with their ears or understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. This is, this is like really hard. And then he said, but blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see but did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. I shouldn't have done that whole tangent. That did not get me where I thought it was going to. So Jesus here is saying something. They have a question, just like, why are you teaching this way? This is weird. Teach the way everyone else teaches. Take a text and explain it. Do that, Rabbi Jesus. Jesus is like, no, 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 I'm going to do it in stories. The reason I'm going to do it in stories is I'm talking about something that is in, it, it's, it's impossible to get our heads around because it's like breathing underwater without a scuba tank. It's, we don't do it. And yet was absolutely 100% natural and normal. The things he's talking about in the, their kingdom of heaven things. And so he's describing to them what is reality to him. He knew it from eternity past to that moment and beyond. And yet for us on our meager little timeline, they're like, how do I get my head around the kingdom of heaven? And so he teaches them in parables. But even in doing that, there are those, and Isaiah said this generations and generations and generations before. They'll hear it, but they're not going to get it. They're going to see the signs and the wonders that he's doing, but they're not going to see it. And we looked at this on Wednesday night a couple weeks back. Like, this is not an easy text. This makes me uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable because I'm also aware of the passage of Scripture that says, whosoever will may come, that God in his heart wants all to be saved. So these are intention, right? So... What do we do with that? And the thing we do with that is this. We come just as we are. We've already said it multiple times this morning. What you bring in, who you are right now, God meets you right there. Right there. Not you need to be super religious. Not you need to know five more things about the Bible you didn't know last week. Not God loves you and meets you right where you are. And yet your posture and your heart and your mind, it matters. That's what Jesus is saying. We could have, in this room, this morning, me saying the same thing more clearly than I've so far said, and have some get it and some not get it. And it's not because I'm failing in my speaking. It's because your heart and your posture towards God's word, not what I'm saying, but God's word, are different. You ever talk to somebody, and in talking to them, they're super open to what you're saying? And then talk to somebody else, and the same thing you're trying to teach them or train them, they're like, I already know this. If you've ever tried to show me a card trick, I am not a good audience. Nolan and Ruby right now are into card tricks. They're watching YouTubes. They're learning card tricks. I can't stand card tricks. Here's why. I know I'm being tricked. In my brain, even though I love my children, doesn't 
want to disengage knowing where the sleight of hand is. Ruby did one to me. I didn't know how she did it. It was amazing. Nolan goes, this is how she did it. It's like, so frustrated. Because I'm a bad audience. What do you do when your children come to you and want to show you anything? I think I said this in a sermon a couple weeks ago. You go, tell me more. Right? Here's what I do when they show me a card trick. I don't want to do this. (laughs) You're the same. Next week, everybody's going to bring cards for my kids. What's the issue? Is it the trick? Is it my kids? They're bad? No, it's me. It's my posture to what they're doing. It's my insecurity about thinking I'm going to be foolish because I can't figure out this trick that my eight-year-old knows. It's my posture. It's not their message. It's not their thing. And see, that's what Jesus is talking about in this. It's not that he's hiding things that they could never know. You need a guru. No. He's saying they're not going to be able to know because of their posture towards what's being said or what's being revealed. And there is joy for us when we have the right posture when we come to the things of God. Not looking for a sleight of hand or a card trick. God is not trying to do that. But being open and humble and saying, well, what do you have here for us? So then Jesus in this says, but blessed are your eyes when they see, in your ears when they hear. How many times in the gospel does Jesus say, let those who have ears hear and those who have eyes see? More than once. More than once. And it's not a behold, but it is a behold. He's saying, pay attention to this. Don't gloss over it. Don't come at this and go, ah, I know there's a card trick. I don't want to know what it is. He says, let you who have eyes see and let you who have ears hear. We need to prepare ourselves. We need to train our ears and our eyes. And so here's the question for us. Am I becoming more calloused? It's weird that the Bible uses the word calloused or that they translate the Greek here calloused because is, am, are my eyes developing cataracts, would what we would say in the modern, right? Or glaucoma or macular degenerate disease. And am I listening to such loud noise that my hearing is being dulled? See, he's speaking to those who have sight and who have hearing. Yeah, I know we're all affected by original sin and the fall and all of that. We'll just table that. But where you are now, you are becoming either more in the likeness of Christ or more in the likeness of yourself, fallen, sinful, full of pride. And so are you becoming more calloused in sight? Are you becoming more dull in your hearing? That's our question. Because the message is the same. So now, from here, we jump back into the story that's already in progress from last week. Matthew chapter 2, 
finds us after the birth of Jesus, after angels, after Mary and the Annunciation, after uh, the Immaculate Conception, after Joseph gets the dream, after travel to Bethlehem because um, in the time of Caesar Augustus, he called a census, which really means he was just raising more taxes. After no room for them in an inn, which was probably in an age of hospitality where there were no Howard Johnsons, probably no guest room for them with their extended family. Why? Because they weren't yet married and she was very much pregnant. After all of that, after the angels show up to the shepherds, after the labor pains begin and Mary gives birth to a son and they name him Jesus, after all of that, now we get to Matthew chapter 2. I don't know when this was. Was it right away? Was it a little while after? Was Jesus less than two because that's where Herod kills up to the two-year-olds? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But here we go, Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And we saw this last week, and we're not going to unpack all of last week, but just a little, and we're doing great on time. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, about from here to Nina, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. We're not even going to look at all of this this morning, but we can't miss the fact that these are outsiders. And these are folks that if they came in this morning and said, hey, uh, what's going on here with this Jesus stuff? I was looking at my tea leaves or I had this sign in when we cut the liver and read the liver. Or I saw this sign in the horoscopes. The Bible very clearly says not to do those things. Don't, don't, don't do them. It says don't do them because in our, you're just like me, and we're just like all of humanity. We want to know what comes next, and we want to know that I am important in what comes next. And so let me just toss out a little 1982 to you. If you read horoscopes even for fun, knock it off. Knock it off. That is, that is a substitution for genuine word of God. And I don't know if it's gateway or foothold for the enemy or any of that spiritual warfare business. I know it is saying, God, your word is here, but I'm just going to look at a little other thing over here. Knock it off. Will it change your life? Will it save your marriage? Will it whatever? I have no idea. Follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit is the voice into our life. One of the reasons we become dull to the things that God is going to say us is because we look for wisdom and truth everywhere else. And so part of preparing that we might see the joy that is in front of us is turning down or turning off those other things. So ends 1982. That said, these guys were reading the stars. How crazy is that? How crazy is that? Non-Jews from the East, 
maybe or maybe not carrying firearms as we saw last week in the art. I think Dolly took a little liberty. If these guys showed up to your house for your Christmas meal and said, we're here because we've seen some stuff, can you tell us about it? All of us, me too, would be uncomfortable. And yet God in his mystery and his majesty through the lens that they only, uh, he revealed enough of what his plan was that they might respond to it. The stars were not saving knowledge to them, but it led them to the one who could save and redeem them. And so they show up and they're like, hey, where's the king? When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests, I just, I love that. I, they're not his chief priests. They're everyone else's. We don't, well, um, keep that one inside. The te- and the teachers of the law. And he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. This is them responding. This isn't Matthew, like being cool, Matthew linking to the Old Testament. This is them. So it's in Bethlehem, Judea, right? But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will, be, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them when the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, Go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, hey, report him to me that I too may go and worship him. And after they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So great. So there's this King Herod who has this event thrust on him. He didn't plan this. He actually didn't want this. This is news, though, that has the potential to upend his plans of monarchy and legacy. The wise men show up at this capital the religious center of Jerusalem, if a king's going to be born, that's where the king's going to be born. The royal house, right? Go to the royal city. But when they get there, this is news to everybody. No baby born into Herod's family recently. And this triggers massive distress, which shows how Herod rules that if this little bit of unsettling news then causes the whole city to go into disruption, shows just how unstable Herod is. If we had a lot of time, we could go into the story of King Herod, who actually isn't of the royal line of King David. Herod, when we pick up his story through the historians, he's actually the governor of Galilee. 
And Herod uh, says some good things to some of the political powers who are the leaders of the whole known world back in Rome. In this guy that you might have heard about, Mark Anthony, Herod butters his bread and says, you should do some things. And then when he gets into power, then Herod is given a place of power. And so Herod comes into his place. He doesn't buy it, but he's not born into it. And so he's a bit of a puppet king. Even though Herod, if you look him up, Wikipedia, he's Herod the Great. I think he named himself. Right? I've had a couple of people ask, you go by Jade, you go by Jason. Jason the Great. All in favor? (laughs) But if you didn't like it, he'd kill you. And see, Herod actually did do some great things. Herod was the one who was known for rebuilding the temple and taking it and and expanding it. Herod was involved with some great uh, renovations and renewals. And yet he was incredibly paranoid and incredibly wicked. And so when they show up and they're like, hey, where's the king born? And he's like, what? What is all this? See, last week we looked at peace. This week we look at joy. These two things are linked together. What we see in the life of Herod is his response to this thing that he has no control over draws out from him distress and hatred. Follower of Christ, the work of changing you of the Holy Spirit that is being done is to lessen your need to control the story. When I need to control the story, when the unexpected or the unknown or the uncontrollable comes into my life, it brings out King Herod. It brings out distress. It brings out unrest. It brings out non-joy. And we could take that analogy further and be like, it seems like the Magi are full of peace and joy because they're just following where the Lord is leading them. And I don't know a lot about that or what that looks like all of the time, but it's conversation that I love. What does it mean for you to actually follow Christ in your life? Some of it looks like the way I follow Christ or the way someone else that you look up to follows the Lord, but some of it is, some of it plays out differently in your specific context. Maybe you're a reader, and so reading Scripture, spending time studying His Word, it's not difficult. But maybe you're dyslexic, and it is difficult. But you know it's important, and so you get the audio version, or you listen to it on the Bible app, which does have a narrator. The question for all of us, though, is are my eyes developing cataracts? Is my hearing going? God, am I seeing and am I hearing what you're doing? Because Herod didn't. Herod didn't at all. But see, the problem in this, too, it's not just Herod. And and I hinted at this last week, and Amy goes, I had a note written in my Bible. You talked about this three years ago on... um, on Christmas Eve. And so if you remember that sermon, I'm going to repeat a second. Sorry. (laughs) I know. Oh, yeah, that point, Jay. Herod isn't a shock to me because the world is full of Herod. 
We see Herod in the news all the time. You're going to disrupt my grasp, my power, my authority. Look at how I'm about to rage. Because in reality, I am insecure and my grasp on power is very frail. Herods have always existed. Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, we could go down the list. Herods are Herods. For me, the shocking and the convicting, it's the people's chief priests and it's the teachers of the law. Because when Herod comes to them and he's like, hey, where's the baby going to be born? The Messiah, you know, the one who's going to deliver the people. They aren't like, that's a really good question. I've never thought of that before. They go slam the buzzer to be the first one to answer. Bethlehem, Judea, the least. You, O Bethlehem, are not the least among the tribes of Judah. Out of you will come a great leader. And they're stumbling over each other to say this. They know the answer. But they are unchanged by the answer. And this is what's convicting to me. The longer follower of Christ you are in on this life of faith, the more easily you and I fall into being the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law. We know the answer, but we are unchanged by it. And that is so unsettling to me. How many things has God lit up in my life that I'm super excited to teach and unwilling to live? Well, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that, Pastor. Humility, one writer says, does not consist of self-accusation or self-effacement, of wallowing in feelings of inadequacy or worthlessness. That is, <laughs> that is humiliation, not humility. True humility as Judean shepherds and wise men revealed, means bowing in the presence of the power that makes our own powers seem weak by comparison and kneeling in the presence of the holy that makes our own goodness seem shabby as a stable. Harold Cohn goes on and he says, Pride comes from comparing ourselves with our worst neighbor. Well, I'm not Hitler. Humility comes from comparing ourselves with Christ. In another's presence, we feel how big we are. In Christ's presence, we see our sense of smallness. Even when Christ was but a Bethlehem baby, shepherds and wise men looked upon him, then at themselves, and knelt in utter humility. Your posture in coming to this sets the trajectory on he who has eyes, let him see, and she who has ears, let her hear. I humbly stand in front of God's word, his message, his good news, and say, God, what do I get? What am I missing? And that's an easy question, but the harder question is, God, what do I get and I'm not doing? God, what have you shown? What have you called me to do? 
How am I actually loving my neighbor? Because you keep circling back to this, Jesus, again and again and again. Love God, love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. How am I doing that? Not how am I doing that on how the world defines loving your neighbor. Don't tell anyone they're wrong, accept everyone, blah, 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 blah. But God, how am I loving my neighbor the way you love me? That you meet me right where I am, but then you call me out of my filth. That's loving. So God, am I receiving that? And am I being changed by that? And then am I willing to take the risk to actually love that way? And that is a huge movement. But if all we are is loving God with our head and not then living out the rest of the great commandment, love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, love your neighbor as yourself, If I'm only one or only one, then I'm none. And so, so I'm uncomfortable with the religious leaders and the people's chief priests. Our reading this morning was at, uh, uh, it wasn't Psalm 12. Was it Psalm 12? No, it was Isaiah 12. In that day, you will say. Just a life tip, if you're ever putting together a slide for a talk and there's a lot to talk about, don't just do this. Hine. Hine. Behold. In that day, you will say. We want to focus on what we'll say. It's not wrong to focus on what we'll say. What we'll say is, I will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. That surely actually is Hine. Behold, God is my salvation. Not God will save me. God himself is salvation. It's amazing. I will trust and I will not be afraid. That could be our whole sermon this morning. It would have been a lot shorter, right? Jay, do that sometime. Never going to happen. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength, my defense. He has become my salvation. He repeats it. When there's a repeat, pay attention. Not God is going to save me. He is salvation. And all the Norwegians said, "Mm." (laughs) and the Greeks went nuts. With joy I will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day you will say, Isaiah repeats. Again. But we go to here. We will say, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim his name that is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let it be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion. For great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Isaiah chapter 12. Twice in this. In that day you will say. One of the things I wish... uh, I had picked up on when I was younger in just listening and in reading it, sitting in church as a teenager. I wish someone would, would have just stopped and said, what question does this bring up for you? Not the secret knowledge thing, but I just, I, 
some good questions. When reading the reading, did it draw any questions out? Twice Isaiah says, in that day you will say. The question that's just hanging there is, what day? What day? What day? He says it twice. Hine, behold, in that day you will say. In what day? That's the whole of Isaiah 12. If you've got your Bible and flip it open, that's the whole thing. So when you find yourself in the Bible and you're reading something and it's talking about something that isn't mentioned where you're reading, a good student then will go, okay, I guess I need to pull the camera back some. And you look for context. And so this is talking in a way that it's saying, hey, you should already have something in mind. In that day, that should already be something that you're thinking about. You will say, you will sing, and then these two parts of the song. So what is it? It's actually, scholars point out, and if we were reading this along, you would see it's from Isaiah chapter 7 to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 7 starts with where we began in uh, Advent week 1. Unto you a child will be born. A son will be given, and his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. What king Ahaz, you don't want a sign? Fine, God's going to give you a sign. It's going to be the birth of a child to a young woman in childbearing years. And then it goes on in what Isaiah does in the beginning of this, and he says things are not the way they're supposed to be. There's going to be judgment, but then on the other side of judgment, there's going to be redemption. And there's judgment and course correction, and then there's redemption. And judgment and redemption. And so on that day, you will say... It's the stuff of the five chapters right before this. It's Isaiah 11 we see right before this. And this is the continuation of the thread from this. But in Isaiah 11 we see, and a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Jesse being the father of David, the line of King David is severed. From his roots, what seems like it's dead, a branch will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him and the spirit of wisdom and of understanding and the spirit of counsel and of might and the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And if you keep reading in Isaiah chapter 11, you go, I want to live under that kind of king. Because your recent history is kings that feel a lot slimy and not like this. And so Isaiah is saying, on that day when this happens, you're going to sing this song. We have time for this, but listen, that should, it is an encouragement to us of before that day happens, what are you reading and hearing? What are you training your eyes and your attention on? When you find yourself at a point of celebration or a point of crisis, don't think that is the time you're going to flip open the Bible and learn some new attribute of God or some new reality about yourself. There is work to be done for the moment. And we've talked about this. We've talked about this recently even. It's why we gather together as a church when you're not in crisis. So we can get together and encourage each other. Talk about God's doing this in my life, or he's shown me this, or I'm trusting him in this, or could you pray with me for this? Before the moment, 
you're not going to bust into this song if you've never heard it before. Right? This happens, and Herod goes, what's going on? This actually happens in the religious scholars that it hasn't penetrated their life go, well, here's the answer. And they adjust their robes and they make sure their ancient Hebrew is proper and then they give the answer. When this day happens, so what is this day? It is the dawning of the day of the Lord, which is the thing we don't have all time for but it is this reoccurring motif uh, theme in the Old Testament that draws us to Jesus' birth and then points us beyond to the actual end of the age. So when we read something in Scripture that is especially the voice of the prophet, and and we see this in these five chapters, and you go, it doesn't feel like all of that has happened. Then there is elements of this that is true then and also maybe still true to come. And so when Jesus is born, they don't sing this song, do they? Why? Because they had grown calloused and their ears had grown dull. Why? Because they were hanging on to their own power. Because they were controlling the narrative. Because they knew about God, but they didn't know. So when we were in the book of Jonah, I had a book by a Presbyterian pastor of poetry called You, Jonah, and came across uh, Thomas John Carlyle's actually same author, pastor, has written more poetry. This is from a book called Looking for Jesus. And it's just, it's, it's phenomenal. But in this, there's, there's this poem called There Came Wise Men. Carlyle writes, Who is it now desiring words with me? about a child who wants to be king. Speak to them gently. Do not let them see your spears behind their backs. The gifts they bring are for another. Say, I do not care, but why has none of my agents filed the name or town of this conspirator? Most diligently, let them seek the child. Enroll them all as my unwitting spies. They'll be none the wiser. At their word... Wherever in Judea this lamb lies, my gift will be an assassin's sword. This is Herod. This is Herod. And the thing that confronts me in this story is how often I am Herod or how often I am those religious scholars. I'm indifferent to what God's doing. Or I know the answer to what God's doing, and I would do smashing if I wrote a paper on it. Thank you very much. But is it really changing who I am? See, none of this, I, it's not about this head knowledge. It's are, you, are we living it? Are we living it? Jay, this is the worst message on joy. <laughs> Can't you just once give us ten reasons for joy? Next week's love, figure it out, Jay. Come on. I don't need a Hallmark card. I need a mirror. 
because I fool myself too many times. The beauty in this is that God meets us right where we are, wherever you find yourself. This isn't about perfection. That is the lie in the trap of religion. Do this perfectly and then God will love you better. God only loves. There's no degree of love. When he says, I love all my kids the same, he's not kidding. And so if you've carried in this or you're hearing in this, okay, I got to do better. I got to do better. I got to do better. You can't do better. You're better doesn't even make JV team. But the beauty in it is that Christ coming is our best that we could never be. And he is what we could never be. And so we come. See, we all have need to be trained to see and have our eyes opened before we can take in joy that is meant for us in this beautiful life. So what are you seeing and what are you hearing? And is it shaping you? Jesus ends that bit on the, I'm saying things, but not everyone's going to get it. And he says, but blessed are your eyes because they see in your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Did you know that in your lap or in your hand right now you have more clearly the words of God than Isaiah had? They longed and we yawn. They longed. So God, I confess to you how often I just set this to the side. May we be people who are drawn to this. Drawn. And may it change and impact who we really are. God, we need you. You know that. We're not telling you anything we don't know, that you don't know. And God, sometimes we're doing the best we can. A lot of times, maybe, probably not. Or we're doing the best we can for ourselves or by our own ways. God, I pray that you would smack us with these stories to show us not just the Herod, that's the obvious evil, but the indifference of the priests and the leaders. God, we confess to you, I confess to you, there's so many times where I've been aware of a thing and not lived the thing. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy, for your new fresh starts and new beginnings. God, thank you that even where we find ourselves right now, if we're looking back on a long list of stuff that we'd rather wasn't there, but it is there, there's nothing we can do about it. We can do something about it. We confess it to you. Thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you for moving toward us. Not just moving toward us like, I'll get there eventually, but you came among us that we might have a way to the Father. God, capture our attention with that reality.
Lord, change us, really change us, and help us to live this. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray.